Welcome to Sasquatch Island. My name's Tom Seawood. I'll be your host and Indian guide as I share some information about Sasquatch based upon my experiences and coming from my fellow First Nations and North American Indians that I've been communicating with for a lifetime here in my great interest, Sasquatch, or in my language from the Kwakwakiwak people from Northern Vancouver Island, Chonakwa. So today's podcast of Sasquatch Island will be called Why We Don't See Sasquatch. It's something that I've heard time and time again, especially when you try to interview people which I refer to as bushers. These are the people that are experienced out in the bush. And those are your loggers, trappers, prospectors, and mushroom pickers, and the list goes on. But you always hear from them. There's no such thing as Sasquatch. I've been out there for decades and I've never seen or heard anything. Well, I beg to differ. Because to me, I believe that what the native people say on Vancouver Island, and they refer to their Sasquatch in the southern parts of Vancouver Island and in Puget Sound, Washington State, and uh, along the western Washington shore in the north west regions as the watcher they know that for thousands of years being around sasquatch in their territories and they know that the sasquatch is always watching you if we look back at lucas white my uh, omaha indian friend and uh, sasquatch investigator with sasquatch island he taught me as i've shared with a lot of people that the Sasquatches have laws, very strict laws. They have language, they have culture, they have very strict laws. And one of the things he taught me is they're almost like a military unit where his experience with them over a lifetime as well, and he's uh, in his 40s now, but he said that there'll be the family unit and the ones that are sick or aged that'll be in the middle, like the nucleus, and around them will be the scouts. And the scout ring, depending on the size of the clan, could be pretty vast. And they have all of the visual sight areas and also what they can pick up with smell covered. And if they see a human coming, tree snap or a tree pop where they just hit the tree real loud or they mimic a animal or a bird. And it's like, a, I guess you could say like a chain of communication that goes right to the nucleus to warn them something's about and if we don't know how but of course that unit would move the clan and that's why we don't one of the reasons why we don't see them because they have scouts and that's where we get the term the watcher but many many years ago i was in the abandoned native village where i was the native guardian and watchman and doing my ecotourism interpretive tours to the fallen totem poles, the big house remains, to all of the sea kayakers and yachters and sailboat explorers that would come in on their dinghies. And in native regalia, I would welcome them to the village and I would walk them through the village sharing the stories of my tribe, the Mamliacha, as well as my nation, the Kwakwakiwak nation. And when we came across the fallen totem pole with the grizzly bear on it, Gela, and on the paws were two faces. I would explain that those two faces represent Junakha. And I would hear from them too. Oh, we come out in the bush and sometimes we hear this. We heard this one time or we saw something. I even had that one uh, 
couple come in one time off their yacht in my native gift store, which is a float house, where I was selling native art, and the wife said, oh, we saw monkeys walking on the beach this morning at anchor. And I said, we don't have monkeys here. And what they saw was Sasquatches. But when I was in that village, and a lot of people know that my partner in life is uh, Peggy, and uh, that was the first day I ever met her. She came into the village on her zebra-striped kayak, and I could hear her twittering, chirping voice as she paddled through the August heat hoodoos where I couldn't see the kayaks other than shimmering, shimmering shadows across the water. But then I was sitting on a picnic table and I was up on the elevated bank in the village. And there was a grass bank in front of me with some, what we call jum jum clum, the stinging nettles, the thistle, and long blades of grass that I hadn't weed-eated. I didn't like walking in there because that's where the garter snakes like to hang out and I hate snakes. But I could hear her on that beach talking away about the Kwakiwak Indians and this is the what they were living here for and tall and all this native stuff to her two male friends that she kayaked in with and i didn't even cast eyes on her yet and i was sort of chuckling like oh this girl so thinks she knows but not really and that was my job to do an interpretive tour to educate people about the first nations from my region and about that abandoned native village i'm talking to the two male guys that came in and then all of a sudden up walked this the bank walked this girl with bluish gray wolf eyes brown hair this great smile and she came in and she looked at me and her eyes went big and i you know welcome to mimkamlis village island my name's tom seawood i'm the native watchman and she just her eyes went huge a big smile and she's like oh my a real indian and she plopped herself down cross-legged in front of me and i began the story about the village and our people Something captivated me about Peggy that day, and it wasn't until, I guess, probably four or five years later when her and I <clears throat> got together as a couple, and I brought her out mushroom picking, and when she was walking through the forest, that's when I noticed what captivated me the first time I saw her. She was a bush dancer, a bush walker. She was walking through the forest, and she was parting the branches, and she was stepping without looking because she'd already looked ahead prior to putting that her foot down. And she was reading the forest. She was at ease and in her element of being in that forest. And I knew right there what captivated me the first time I saw her was when she walked up that garter snake infested bank of grass and stinging nettles. She was weaving between the stinging nettles and not touching them, but using her elbow. And as she placed her feet, she was looking right at me. She wasn't looking at where her feet were going. And that's a bush dancer, a bush walker. They've done it so long, whether it be a slippery beach of exposed boulders and seaweed at low tide or in a forest, in a, I guess you could say a scrub area like uh, Eastern British Columbia and Washington State. You know, these are the environments I'm familiar with as well as jungle, because I've walked a fair bit of jungle in my time, back in my days of explorations down into Mexico and elsewhere. And it's always the same. You've spent so much time out there that you're experienced. You're knowledgeable. So when you look at a logger, a prospector, a mushroom picker, a hiker, 
they're bush dancers, bushwalkers. They're at ease. They're in their element, the forest. So can you imagine a Sasquatch? Right away, they equate to us humans that we're a threat. Their ancestral stories probably speak about a time when there was very limited protein resources in the Pacific Northwest of North America. And they were competing with the humans who had weapons, fire, great numbers, masses. And, you know, our native laws talk about how we were protecting and our food resources to the death if need be, because that's how valuable, important they were to our families. It was survival. <clears throat> so you can only imagine those humans thousands of years ago when they came across a group of Sasquatches digging their cockles in a shellfish beach or their clams or berries. They would use their masses, their weapons, and they would drive them off. And that's why I firmly believe the Sasquatch became the ones of the night and they evolved to have nocturnal vision. They became bigger, more robust, hairier because they needed that warmth. They didn't have clothing. They have laws, Tom, very strict laws. Maybe they're not allowed to wear clothing or carry weapons. Something I've always hypothesized on, on, you know, why we don't see them with weapons or clothing or living in big houses, teepees, tule huts, pit houses, and so forth. They're more in tune to nature. They're more one-on-one -on -one with Mother Earth, so to speak. And you can imagine how well they walk through the forest if we were able to observe them close for hours. They would be totally in their environment and their element. You know that. And hence, they're bushwalkers, bush dancers. They're not slipping, stumbling, popping knees, breaking hips. They know what they're going to do as they walk. They know where to walk and how to place their feet and how to lean their body forward or sideways to keep balance secure. So when they look at us and they see someone with mountain equipment co-op and carabiners holding water bottles and GPS units and they got a backpack with plastic hoses going to their mouth to drink their water and they got brightly colored clothing made of all kinds of fancy materials and they're tripping, stumbling, slipping, falling down. Those are the ones they know that are not in their element. A weekend hiker, someone getting out of a kayak or a dinghy from this concrete jungle, tripping, slipping, and bumbling about. Well, those ones they know aren't a threat. They're not in their element, those humans. So in turn, that's where I think the people that are like that give us a lot of the reports. So they pulled over on the side of the road, walked in the bush for a bit to pick some berries. And lo and behold, there was a Sasquatch looking at them. Or they were walking down a trail and there was a Sasquatch came out, looked at them, walked even closer. And they got scared and ran away. But we look at the loggers, prospectors, mushroom pickers, hikers, and we hear them. There's no such thing as Sasquatch. I never see them. We can only imagine that they're like Peggy, walking through the forest with ease. They're in their comfort zone. They're in their element. And in most cases, they either got a knife, maybe bear spray, bear bangers. And a lot of them are wearing camel. And what does camel equate to in this modern world? Firearms. So someone who's dressed up like a hunter, wearing camel, 
being a bushwalker, bush dancer, well, they more than likely have a firearm. And through the Sasquatch, it's not in their best interest to get in that human's face, to get them hostile. Because as you know, in the bush world, survival is everything. That's why bears and wolves and cougars, they'll posture and they'll vocalize and intimidate one another until the weaker gets scared and backs off. There is no fur flying. There is no bloodshed. There is no injury. It's all about posturing. So to me, that's why I think that those people that are experienced out in the bush never see them. Loggers especially. you got to remember that the Sasquatch looks at a logger and looks at the destruction that they've brought to our world. Knocking down trees, blasting rock, building bridges across, across river systems that have all the protein and nutrients. The rains come and where there once was trees, it's nothing but exposed earth now. There's no sponge effect for trees to suck up that water. And all of a sudden the rivers turn into torrential what we call freshets in British Columbia where they're just blown out and all that sediment and debris and landslides are created from logging. So a Sasquatch, that's why I think they despise us, they hate us, they loathe us, but more so the loggers and the strip miners, frackers possibly, putting all those roads all over North America for their seismic lines, they call it, and then they blast bigger roads through so they can put up their drill rigs or with machinery and lights and all that stink smell of petroleum and other chemicals that they've introduced into a pristine environment. We're destroyers of our environment. And I think that's why Sasquatches don't want to be around loggers. But then if we look back to Bluff Creek, California, I think it was a couple years prior to 67 when Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin uh, saw those saw Patty and filmed her. Well, it all came up. They went there because they heard a year or two before that there was a lot of tracks seen around a bunch of uh, road building equipment. And that's where the term Bigfoot comes from because one of those road builders plaster casted a print, got published in a newspaper. The reporter coined the name Bigfoot, these creatures that are out there. And look at us now in 2021. Bigfoot is well known throughout the entire planet. And people have come forward about their Sasquatch Bigfoot in their continent or their country or their region. So bush dancers, Sasquatches are watching that. But here's something as an investigator. And I share it with you as a fellow investigator as well. When uh, someone's sitting there drinking their coffee like I am right now. And they're, oh, there's no such thing as Sasquatch. It's a bunch of imagination has gone wild. I've been out in the bush building logging roads, falling trees. I used to run a trap line. I go hunting every year and I've been doing that since I was a kid. There is no such thing as Sasquatch. Well, what I usually do then is I ask them a question. I said, hey, when you're out in the bush, you ever notice that you hear something and you turn and there's a branch bouncing. And right away you look around. Where's the bear cub? cougar cub, raccoon, bird, and there's none. You ever notice that? And they look at you and they go, yeah, come to think of it. Yeah, that's happened to me. Why? Well, 
The native tribes in southern Vancouver Island refer to their Sasquatch as the Watcher. And I'm going to be posting the picture in this uh, podcast with Monster X Radio, and it'll also be on Sasquatch Island when I post about this podcast. But Coast Salish, there's a design of a Sasquatch with its hand holding a branch, and it's peeking out. And in the pupil, you see the reflection of a native big house. (coughs) And the title of that painting, print, is called The Watcher. My experience in the bush, and I can count probably half a dozen times where I was out there, and that's exactly what happened with me. I heard something, I turned really quick, and there was a branch, uh, evergreen, bouncing and moving around. But no bear cub, cougar cub, raccoon, grizzly bear, uh, cub, squirrel, bird. And I went, hmm, that's strange. Well, after spending so much time with Lucas White in Omaha Indian Reservation and him educating me about the Sasquatch, which they call Sitonga in Omaha, I started to think about it. And what I think it is, is, and as we know, the Kwakwakiwak people and other native tribes, it's all about respect to the other tribe. So in other words, if you hear or see sign that Sasquatch is left, like out here on the coast, broken cockle shells up by the high tide mark, footprints in the gravel, maybe you hear a slap on a tree or a tree snap, maybe something gets thrown at you or trees get shooken or a dead tree gets pushed over. That's Sasquatch telling you, we are here right now. We don't want you humans here. And we are taught as Kwakwakiwak to back up, turn around, leave. Maybe it's as simple as going down half a mile down the shore and going to a clam beach there and checking it out and finding out there's no vocalizations or aggressive noises coming from the forest. And there's no broken cockle shells up by the high tide mark. Well, it's all right for the humans to harvest their shellfish at that beach there. Or if you're hunting and that happens, well, you back up, turn around, go back where you came from, jump on your quad maybe or your vehicle, drive to a different setting, which is another logging road area, and park and get out. Chances are you're not going to hear anything again because it's just respect in the bush. So with bushwalkers, bush dancers, when you hear that noise and you turn and you see that branch bouncing and popping, swaying, and there's no animal or bird there, I firmly believe what it is is Sasquatch was there and it's grabbed the branch as the native people talk and it's watching. It's looking at you. And it observes you wearing your camo or your Levi jeans, wearing running shoes, And you got a knife on your side. Maybe you have a gun. Maybe you don't. But you're bush dancing. You're bushwalking. You're moving with comfort and ease and skill and experience. And the Sasquatch makes a judgment call. That person is like me. At ease and comfort in the forest environment. Well, it's not my best interest to go raise havoc with them. So the Sasquatch, I think, pulls a branch down even further lets it go as and it snaps and pops up it turns and it walks away and that branch is telling us i'm here too i saw you i see what you're doing i'm cool with that you go about your business i've turned and left you and i'm going to go about my business and that's happened to me half a dozen times in the first few occasions, you know, the first time I can recollect it happening was in uh, Horn Lake in 1988. We just bought 
my family a brand new 18 and a half foot Gregor welded aluminum boat with a 60 horse Merc on the back end with downriggers and a buddy of mine the one that I observed and witnessed the two Sasquatches in the early 1990s on my commercial fish boat which is written in Dr. John Bindernagel's first book Sasquatch North America's Undiscovered Great Ape well, Trevor was with me on the speedboat, and him and I were trolling around, and there's cabins at that time on probably well over half the lake, and it's good size, probably, I guess, maybe eight mile long, and a uh, mile wide, I guess, at the widest. We were up in the northwest arm, and, you know, we're trolling about, and we're getting some couple good-sized trout, but we went really close into this uh, northeast bay, and uh, we're trolling along, and flat calm no breeze at all and all of a sudden we both heard something and we looked and there's a hemlock tree and it was a, probably about a 25 footer and it's really splayed out right from the ground up to its top but right at the ground level at about seven or eight feet here's this branch just bouncing up and down and we're both listening and looking of course we didn't see a bird fly off we didn't see any bear cubs or hear any you know, noises from any animals. And we didn't think nothing of it. About a year and a half later, Trevor and I find ourselves in Village Island, living in a 26-foot trailer with a 10 by 10 addition we built, and we're the watchmen for my tribe's abandoned native village out in Knight's Inlet, the mouth of Knight's Inlet. <coughs> Pardon me. And what they call the Western Broughton Archipelago. And we heard a rock roll into our campfire area on the beach one night was we were just sitting there drinking coffee and pop and big fire going after a big feed of crabs and we're BSing away looking at satellites and trying to see falling stars and this boulder about five inches in diameter rolled down behind us from the evergreen bushes and the grass didn't think nothing of it until we're walking to the cabin and go to bed few about half an hour later and we heard something, and then off there in the bush was a branch bouncing and moving and swaying. I think, again, that was possibly a Sasquatch doing its thing, acknowledging its presence to us. And then uh, when I was a hunting guide for black bears and grizzly bears, working for a big 97-foot yacht, living on it, traveling the Broughton Archipelago and other parts of the British Columbia coast, which is our guide outfitting territory from Seymour Inlet in the north on the mainland all the way down between the islands and mainland and east and of Vancouver, off eastern Vancouver Island to the north end to Butte Inlet. That was our guide outfitting territory, excluding Knights Inlet. So if, you, if someone's interested and you want to Google it, we had one of the biggest guide outfitting territories in coastal British Columbia. And that's why we had to have that big yacht. We were in a place called Drury Inlet. Just straight across from Vancouver Island on the mainland is Drury Inlet. You can Google it, D-R-U-R-Y. And I also lived there for two winters as a logging camp watchman all by myself. But we went up to this place called uh, Genis Bay with a speedboat. And we jumped in a logger's pickup truck who let us use it. Uh, log salvager, the Tap Brothers, and we drove up the about five or six miles of logging road that no one, and I mean no one, goes on during that time of the year, middle of September. Tourists are all gone in their yachts and kayaks and sailboats by that time. Well, we get up to the Huaskin Lake, 
And me and Pete, the boss were just standing there, and you know, I was looking at a, actually looking at a aluminum boat on the beach, and it had an outboard motor. And I was like, Bush rules. There's no fuel tank or fuel line. It means if I bring a fuel tank and fuel line up, I can use the boat to go fishing. And as long as I don't damage it or anything, and maybe leave a can of beans or something for the owner, it's punk. The punk principle, helping one another out. So anyway, I'm looking at this boat, and not. I guess 30 yards behind us is the trees and everything and Peter's off to my right a bit standing on the top of the dock looking around and oh scorch your heart that day I remember it must have been like 85 degrees and out here in the Pacific Northwest 85 degrees is smoking hot and no wind and we heard something and both of us turned and looked and at the entrance to an old overgrown logging road off the main logging road we'd come in on here's this evergreen hemlock branch just moving and bouncing up and down peter and i being hunting guys we don't get out of a vehicle or a boat without a rifle slung over our shoulders so right away i think i had my 300 wind mag scout rifle at the time but i trod up to where this branch is peter's sort of keeping my six and walking behind me but as i get into that overgrow into the bush of the overgrown logging road just this god-awful stench, that rotten human body odor times 20 smell. And I just come to a complete stop. The old pucker principle kicks in, and I'm like, whoa, Peter, I think we might have a Sasquatch here. And uh, Peter just starts laughing. You and your Sasquatch is a bunch of hokum, a bunch of balonies. I'm like, yeah, whatever, keep my six. I'm going to go take a look. So I walked through the branches that were going across the road and underneath the hemlock bough that was bouncing earlier. And as I got under the hemlock bough, I could smell even more. And you could see in the grass, big imprints. And as I looked into the hemlock second growth forest with sun rays coming through the branches that were open where there was no branches, I'm looking for a big brown or black shoulders moving silhouette of its upper part of its body walking away but nothing of course and these in the grass you could actually see the grass starting to spring back where big feet had been placed and it was no bear it was no cougar it was no wolf it was definitely what i seen and you got to remember i was at that time in the peak of my guide outfitting hunting guide specializing in grizzly bears so I'm crispy at that moment because I've been out in bush living there. And I'm looking and I'm seeing everything registering. I licked my two fingers, shoved them on my nose so the nose hairs got wetter so I could smell better. And I could smell that pungent stink body odor. And then up on the hill where I, I looked right away because I heard. And I knew right then and there. Yep. The big fella. So I backed out because I, you know. Didn't want to go mess with him. He was telling me, I'm here. Respect him. Turn, walk away, leave him be. And as I come out of the overgrown logging road, Peter's, well, you see your Sasquatch? I'm like, no, didn't see a Sasquatch. Well, I'm done with that. I, you know, thought, and, you know, I remember I said something. I can't remember exactly what. But we went about our business, did our thing. And that's when it finally, I had one of those epiphany sitting on a toilet moments when I'm like, hey. What happened in Horn Lake when Trevor and I saw that bow bounce up and down? 
when we were in Village Island and that branches were moving. And then when I was up in Huaskin Lake, when I was a hunting guide in that hot mid-September day, and that bow was up and down, and I saw the footprints. I saw the grass bouncing back. I heard the tree pop up above, acknowledging that it was there. No wonder why the people in southern Vancouver Island, the tribes, call them the watcher. Because that's exactly what they're doing. They're always watching us. And they give us those signs that they don't want us there. And sometimes they pull that branch down and let it snap back. And they turn and walk away to acknowledge, I recognize you as a bush dancer, a bushwalker. You're happy, comfortable, and at ease in what is my home and your home. So I'm going that way and I'm going to leave you be. So that's why I firmly believe loggers, hunters, trappers, prospectors... Um, anyone else who's spent weeks, months, even years out in the forest. The Sasquatch picks up on that. Because like someone who plays the piano or paints oil paintings, you get good at what you do by repetition, doing it over and over and over. <clears throat> so there you go. The next time you hear one of those people get all up, uppity on us and say, what are you doing believing in Sasquatch? There's no bloody thing about Sasquatch. What a bunch of hokum. Well, maybe you should ask them too. Hey, have you ever noticed in the forest, a branch makes a noise, you turn and it's bouncing, but there's no bird, no baby cougar or bear or possum or raccoon or whatever? Yeah. Well, maybe now you know what you should tell them. But I've just shared with you in the last half hour with Sasquatch Island, my podcast series, with uh, why we don't see Sasquatch so much. Like I always say at the end of my podcasts, you know, be safe out there in your explorations. Be respectful. Don't forget, Sasquatch Island is with Monster X Radio, and Monster X Radio is now gone to a free subscription service just by going to monsterxradio.com checking the website out don't forget to uh, subscribe and when you do see our video podcasts and video casts on YouTube don't forget to hit that bell icon so you're reminded when we post something new on uh, YouTube and don't forget to slap that subscribe button so that you become a member of Sasquatch of Monster X Radio and what we're doing I seen one of the posts, you know, we went live just, a, I think it was not even two weeks ago with the free service. And I saw comments last night there, someone going, oh, it was really good. It was entertaining. It was this and that, all positive, of course. And then he goes, but there was commercials, and, you know, hey, that's the world we live in. You know, what we're doing, you know, me taking half hour so far, I'm looking at the count meter, 31 minutes and 10 seconds right now, when I should be sitting there with my meter flagged down, getting paid for the minutes and hours I'm putting into the work I'm doing for my job. Gunnar Monson is doing the same. Shane Corson is doing the same. Uh, David Boozer, who's helping us out, who's PacWest Bigfoot, and he's now got his PacWest Bigfoot access through Monster X Radio because he's helping us out. He's a volunteer as well in most cases. We're putting a lot of time and energy into giving you the educational aspects to Sasquatch Bigfoot, entertainment, 
recognition for others that are out there that are enthusiasts, investigators, making art, doing television production, you name it. So, yeah, I guess it can be a little bit long drawn out to be able to listen or watch something and see commercials. Yeah, it POs me to the max, too, when I'm watching YouTube, where I'm actually giving in now, where I'm probably going to pull my credit card out here pretty quick and join the premier YouTube that I pay so much a month. I do it for my music and Spotify. Would, why would I not do it with YouTube so I can cut down the commercial traffic a bit? That's what I'm getting at. So maybe you too might want to do the same because I know that what we're producing with Monster X Radio, be it Shane Corson with the Olympic Project and what he's producing for our team, me with Sasquatch Island, David Boozer with uh, what he's allowed us to share with everyone on uh, MonsterXRadio.com. We're all volunteers. We're all doing this because we have passion. It's our love. It's our ambition. It's our drive. But most of all, it's about you. I really enjoy the comments I get from you. And I know the rest of the team are the same way. And seeing your positive comments, hearing your chatter, chatter, chatter in a positive level. Hey, it makes my day. It makes my week. It makes my month in some cases. So there you go. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast of Sasquatch Island. And don't forget chatter 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 like a sasquatch don't forget to hit that share button don't forget to hit subscribe buttons and don't forget to chatter 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 and maybe do a post so your friends can see that hey you might want to come check out sasquatch island on monster x radio i thank you very much in the language of my people go in peace